Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab episode 11, the Working Musicians podcast here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. At Las Gatas, California, I'm Paul Kent. Hey, Paul. So I am back home. Uh, we made it through podcasting while I was on the road last week, which was good. Uh, and last week we talked about uh, drum gear and sounds and, and that sort of thing. And we started sort of dipping our toe in the water of guitar sounds. So I want to ask you about that today. And then you had uh, a, a great idea. Well, I say it's a great idea, but we may find that it's a horrible idea uh, to also talk about band politics today, a subject that is near and dear to everyone's heart. Uh, at least anyone that has ever played in a band. So, For sure. Yeah. So I, I, but I'm really curious to, to ask you uh, uh, about your guitar sound and, and, and I'm asking honestly, because I really don't, no, I've played guitar, but I've only, I mean, I've played electric guitar a little bit, but certainly not even close to enough to, to, to learn how to start creating guitar sounds. But I certainly know what I like when I hear a, a good guitar sound. And I also know what I hate when I hear a bad guitar sound. So I guess where I, where I want, I'm, I'm curious is um, what, what makes what makes up how, like, how do you get this, this guitar tone, right? Where does it come from? What, what? Yeah. What, yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually, um, a pretty simplest type of person when it comes to guitar tone. You okay. know, uh, if I could just plug a guitar into an amp, I'd be happy. But, um, because I lead the band, I try to keep it as extremely simple as possible. So I'm not tap dancing like Sammy Davis Jr. on <laughs> pedals trying to, you know, dial in a pedal. But, you know, Simon in my band, my other guitarist, he, he, that's actually his job in the band is to kind of provide guitar color. And he's great at it. I mean, he really understands the nuances of electronics and, and does a great job dialing in a whole bunch of very interesting sounds that make our band sound very professional. But I'm actually primarily a rhythm guitar player. I do take some solos through the night, but, um, I like things very simple and natural. I'm so more two, of a two different schools of thought between you and you and Simon, almost almost diametrically opposed, right? Well, they're actually complimentary. I mean, there I you think go. A, that's a better a way. Band, to say it. Yeah. A band needs each of them, right? So I play mostly rhythm, and and we, I have a sound that I like that's pleasing to my ear, and so you know I use mostly Telecaster guitars. Once in a while, I'll play a Strat. Once in a while, once in a great while, I'll play a Rickenbacker. And once in even a greater while, I'll play a Les Paul. But basically, you know, I, I play a, a Telecaster, which is a pretty um, neutral sound. It's not it's it's not as effective like a, a Strat. You can tell a Strat has a very unique sound and and humbucker, thicker guitar sounds, you know, are pretty are pretty unique as well. But, you know, to me, a, a Telecaster is a great guitar. It's a, it's a plank of wood with strings on it and it's a very natural, unaffected sound. And then, you know, if I could, I would just go into my amp and let the natural sound of the amp be the, the primary, um, the primary sound. And I've gone through a lot of amps and amps have been the hardest thing because finding amps that can give you an appropriate rock and roll sound. And, you know, there's a, there's a range that goes into that term, appropriate rock and roll sound, mm -hmm. but at volumes that are usable, right? Volumes where you can be a good citizen on stage, volumes that you're not blowing your, your audience away. But, you know, guitar players, especially rock and roll guitar players, you need to get it up a little bit louder to get an amp to, to share its personality. So to me, a large part of, of guitar sound 
is the amp that you use. And I've used Fender amps have been really good to me. Um, I've, I have a 410 Bassman, which uh, in my band, cutting cutting through the horn section, having four 10-inch speakers, moving a lot of air, that's been pretty effective in getting my sound out there. Um, again, very natural sound. Uh, you got to get it up. Uh, it's a 40-watt amp, but you got to get it up pretty high in order for it to have a little personality of the amp, not sound so dry. Yeah, so I ha- I, I, I'm going uh, to get a word in edgewise here. Um, yep. Yeah, cause just because I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. It, do you find, and, and, and it sounds like you do, but I'm kind of curious for you to compare what you do versus what, you know, the, the, this other guy, Simon does. Um, the, it seems to me uh, the more wiki wacky boxes a guitar player tends to, to put on the floor in front of them on stage, the harder it is for them to play with a good sound at a lower volume. And and is that just because you're, you're trying to get more nuance. And so you, you wind up having to turn the amp up or just to get the amps personality over whatever your wiki wacky boxes are doing means you've got to turn up louder. Or is it just that it's a compensation thing and, and, and guitar, and I don't, I don't mean to point at Simon here. I, I don't know him well enough, but it, he probably doesn't fall into this category. But there certainly are those guys that uh, that aren't that aren't skilled and make up for it with lots of of boxes and effects and 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 volume. No, I, I'll actually take this in a different direction. Now, okay. These are these are guitarist tools, right? Okay, they're, all right. They're not compensation um, um, tools. They're they're sound sculpting. Um, mood sculpting tools and, you know, use correctly like any tool sure. and they can be, they can be very effective. And so, you know, uh, let me back up. So, so I play a Telecaster, I go into a pedal board, my pedal board has uh, my, my wireless receiver is the first part of the chain and then a tuner and then I have a compressor and then I have a, uh, an overdrive and then I have an echo and that's about it. I, mine is pretty simple. So yeah. a couple of couple of things to shape the tone, shape the vibe, and a little bit of a you know echoey effect. You know when I want it to be a little bit more ambient. I don't even use that very much. I mean, pretty much, it's it's natural sound, and then my overdrive has two pedals on it, loud and louder, pretty much. Sure. And and that's that's kind of my thing. You know, I, I dial in a pretty good rock and roll rhythm tone just naturally, and then when I want to take a solo, you know depending on how I'm feeling at night, I'll either crank up the, the volume on the guitar itself, you know, and I'll, and I'll, I'll modulate my, my volume on guitars between rhythm and, and lead. Or, you know, if I'm doing something, I want a lot more overdrive than what I can dial in, in the amp at any particular volume, then I'll use a pedal for it. So, okay. I, I, you, you mentioned a compressor and I've seen guitar players use compressors and I am intimately familiar with uh compressors i in fact i'm using at least two of them right now one on my vocal and one on on yours and i've used them on kick drums over the years and and things like that i've never quite understood the draw of a compressor for a guitar player but maybe maybe it's just because i've never really thought about it before what do you what is what is the purpose of the compressor in your chain Right. So uh, I use a compressor called the Jangle Box and um, uh, the compression does a couple things. It it uh, it brings out certain frequencies and 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 compresses certain. So, that, you know, it doesn't no matter how hard you hit the guitar, the volume is going to stay mostly in the same area. So kind of the yeah. same thing that you're doing with vocals. Right. Right. And the effect of that on a guitar has a few different uh, interesting things. I play tend to play a lot of funk 
uh, with this range because it's a very percussive thing that, it, you know, no matter how hard I hit the strings, I know it's going to be a consistent sound, which I want in yeah. funk. You know, I don't want... I don't want my guitar, you know, dominating the mix and then, you know, disappearing from the mix based upon, I, you know, I'm, I'm hitting the string so hard. I want the box to do the work of keeping me right in the same place. A nice side effect of compression often is that it can dial in some sustain. So when used with some other pedals, you know, it can make your string sing for a little bit longer. And so that's really helpful. But I use compression <laughs> primarily, like uh, if you think about, you know, my favorite way to, uh, describe compression i um uh, think about american girl by tom petty and if you think about that yeah. opening jangly that's a lot of you know again a very percussive thing to hit your strings that hard uh to play that riff uh that those octaves in the beginning of american girl and then you know my compressor um, brings out certain frequencies and, and evens out certain frequencies and you get that ringing jangling sound as well that to- okay so right i if, well here for People that are listening that don't understand what a compressor does, and most people, even folks that use them, probably don't understand what they do. They they apply gain reduction to a signal, right? And and you can set at what level they start applying gain reduction, and then how much reduction they will apply in terms of a. Typically, it's it's dialed in in terms of a ratio, and and. I mean, this can all happen in, in different ways, but what it means is that when I'm real close to the microphone, like I am now, you hear a very close mic sound, but my level remains consistent. Even if I back off two feet from the mic, I'm not talking any louder. I'm talking the same volume. Um, it sounds different because I'm over there versus over here. And so you're getting more of the room bouncing around and that sort of thing. But that's the point, right? Is the compressor really helps with that. And microphones can, can, you know, be better and worse at that. But I never thought of it. So when you, when you take the concept of gain reduction out uh, uh, and, and you apply it to a guitar, that's where you get that sustain because your guitar is going to make a sound for a long period of time if you reduce the amount of gain that's happening on the attack, then you can bring the level up and get more of the sustain out of it because you're not blowing people away. When you attack the strings, you're kind of keeping it all consistent. Right. And I keep my, that's absolutely right. I keep my compressor fairly neutral in terms of the amount of um, uh, the the amount that it enacts with my single signal and that's why I get that jangly tone. Yeah. And so, so, uh, you know, another way is this is a way, if you think about uh, like the birds, that would be another good. Ex- now they didn't, I don't know that they use compression. Sure. This sounds, is a way to, it's that same kind of sound though. Yeah. R- exactly. REM. It, right. Yep. It's yep. Okay. And you see, if I, I, it, it totally makes sense because it's a compressor doing what compressors do, but I never thought of using it in that way. Probably, probably cause I've never, tried to use one with a guitar and I don't really play guitar. So ah. yeah. And also, you know, this concept of jangle is like the, the decay of the lows, right? right? So you want that sustain a little bit. And so that's what keeps those strings ringing, which gives that jangly effect. Yeah. It's not that it keeps the strings ringing. It's that you've turned it up enough to hear the ring and the compressor keeps the initial signal from dominating it such that you have to ride a volume knob, right? I mean, that's, that's essentially it. what a compressor does is it rides a volume knob for you in a predetermined way. Yeah. Right. Yep. Oh, that's, oh, that's fascinating. I, I, I feel like I've seen the light. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and, again, I'm, and, you I'm know, very you, simple. You said that the birds don't, you weren't sure if the birds used it, um, 
but I will say this. I, I brought up the Jangle Box website so that I'd know to put it in the uh, link in the show notes later when we put it together. And uh, right there on the first page, it says, as guitar legend Roger McGuinn has said <laughs> about the original Jangle Box, these are the pedals that everyone's been looking for. So clearly the birds did most likely use uh, compression. There you go. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So again, my signal is very, very simple. And, and um, because the amps that I've used, I, I need amps that give me some character at at reasonable stage volumes. And that's pretty hard to find. So, you know, I've gone from that 410 Fender, but again, you had to turn it up. That basement, you had to turn it up pretty loud to not have it sound so dry. Yeah. And then I went to a smaller Fender, uh, which has been kind of my, my everyday amp for a long time for any kind of small to medium-sized club. And then I went to this 65 amps amp, which I love the rock and roll tone it gave me at moderate volumes, but it didn't get clean enough for me. And we play a lot of funk, and I need some really clean, clean. So I think I said in one of the first episodes, I'm now getting into this new Mesa Boogie Mark five twenty five. So it's 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 the newest incarnation of Mesa Boogie's Mark five, um, which is an incredibly versatile amp. I mean, covers many many noted famous uh, Mesa Boogie amp models, but you can um, switch it at ten and twenty five watts. Now it's still a crazy loud amp. I mean, I'm not getting it up past one or two in most places, but I'm getting really good quality and character and tone out of it at the at uh, at one or two. Even at lower levels, you're able to make it sound like a guitar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They have, uh, you know, a mode called crunch mode, which is exactly what I want. And then, you know, they have like Mesa Boogie Mark 2B for solos. It's really amazingly versatile. I wish I could go somewhere and uh, and get it up to, you know, five or six. We'll have to find a, you know, uh, maybe I'll take it to the Grand Canyon or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But, I'm actually going to try, and this will be an interesting episode. I'm going to try to play it behind one of those plexiglass shields. And see if I can get it up a little higher and still, you know, not bother people on stage. So that that kind of brings me maybe to the last, certainly the last question I had coming in, which is, okay, so you know how to get a sound. We've I, we've all run into guitar players, and I don't. I I if you tell me that you're one of these, I will be shocked because we played enough gigs together <laughs> that I really don't feel like you're one of these. But 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 uh, they exist among your brethren, and so it's possible you are one uh, that. Get it. The guitar players that get a tone that either either with their, you know, with whatever combination of things they use, a guitar, the amp, the wiki wacky boxes, whatever it's going to be and get this tone that sounds awesome in their bedroom or their studio or wherever it is. But then you you they they, they fail to acknowledge that every room is going to affect your guitar tone. And and you kind of need to redial in your sound, or at least I feel like guitar players need to redial in their sound when they move from room to room. And I have helped guitar players with that over time. And it's I mean, that redialing in is is to me mostly just a OK, well, I need to tweak the low mids or highs on my amp to compensate for what this room is doing uh, how much of that do you think about when you get to the gig or do you play rooms that are big enough that you can actually just rely on your sound guy to hopefully deal with that? Um, so I, a little of both. So, okay. you know, when I go into a room and we sound check, I'm, I'm listening to see if it's, if I hear what I think I'm going to hear, sure. you know, which was the last time it was a, a pleasing thing. And, and, but that would be about it, you know, Dave, okay. I mean, a little bit of volume, 
and a little bit of EQ tweaking to get your, get me to cut through my band in the room would be about it. There's not a lot of yeah. redialing in. I mean, the tone is, you know, some magical combination from my fingers to the strings, through the boxes, into the amp and out, out the speaker. There should be a level of consistency for how, and again, mine is very, very simple. Right. I mean, most of, most of my boxes are off most of the time. Um, but um, if anything, you know, it just cleans up a little muddiness because of a room. And that's usually yeah. an e- a slight EQ thing. Yeah. And th- I got to say the Mesa Boogie, in, in, in addition to having highs, mediums, and lows on each channel, it also has, um, you know, fader based EQ that can override all that stuff. So I can actually dial in quite a bit and oh, it's actually kind of like cool. Like a graphic EQ kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And that actually is great because um, I can then use my amp to um, give me a little bit of a boost. It's not really a boost. It's, it's just a, it's a tone cut thing, yep. but that'll help me again. If I'm really being careful about watching volumes. And, okay. But so you, do, it, you do, th- you do listen to it in the room and make an adjustment there. I, I guess my question, and it, and it sounds like the answer is no, there, there are no, you know, uh, sacred cows as it were in terms of no, my, my mid range knob must always be at, cause I've seen guitar players like take white out or whatever, or nail polish and mark on their amp. This is where the mid range goes. It's like, how do you even know that every room is different? That's crazy. That's like saying the EQ on your PA is always going to, or the EQ on your monitors is always going to look like this, regardless of whether it's feeding back in your face or not. Right. Well, for guitar players is this concept of scooping the mids. And there's a very specific tone that happens when you take the mids out. It's totally. a very, you know, it's something that guitar players, some love it and some hate it. Sure. And so I can understand that some players are, are doing that. It does seem by definition to be a little bit limiting, you know, because you do have to take the environment into, yeah. into yeah. consideration. But um, the reason people do that is because there's a very, very specific tone, specifically with mids that um, that affect a guitar's uh, character and tone, because that's kind of where the guitar lives, right? In the right. mids. And so, right. um, so uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, guitar players, you got to, you got to give us some slack, Dave. I mean, we are forever. There's so many variables in what we do uh, down to the amount of electricity that the, that the venue provides, you know, that can change what we do. Um, you know, if it's not great electricity and your amp, your tube amp is, is not getting a consistent amount, then your tone is going to be different. And it's going to drive you crazy. But you know, us guitar players are, are forever on the quest for perfect tone. It's a never ending quest. We'll never get there, but it's a journey. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's what it is. You hear a tone in your head, you die. It's like playing golf. You know, you have one good round of golf and you think you're a great golfer and you're yeah. going to play golf great every time. It's, it's a journey for guitar players in order to find that perfect tone in the perfect room with the perfect band, you know, balance. Uh, it's uh, not an easy thing. And uh, especially in these small clubs, you know, yeah. when, when you're playing a giant stage and you've got, you've got pro sound gear all around you and pro sound guys all around you, you can get a lot more, a lot of different feedback about how to set your rig, but um, it's uh, it's a journey. That's the best I can say. So I, I will, I will acknowledge that. Because it is, I mean, it. but I, I will say one thing, especially to your comment about we've got to cut you some slack because you're, it's an ever changing environment. Um, there's one thing that doesn't change from gig to gig for you. And, and I will explain that by, by, by saying uh, when a drummer sets up his drums, it's as though it's akin to a guitar player setting his action for every gig. Right. You're walking in, you've got no strings, no bridge, nothing on your guitar, and you have to build the guitar 
from the ground up every time and your action is going to be potentially radically different. That's, that's what your, your, the drummer behind you is dealing with, right? This Tom is not in exactly the same spot. It was at the last gig. That symbol is at a slightly different angle. And there are, there are lots of things we can do to, to, you know, to help mitigate that, but there's nothing that we can do to make it exact. And, uh, and, and so, so I get, I mean, I, I guess the point is everybody's dealing with it. I agree. Yeah. All right. So that's probably a good segue into talking about band politics. So I read an article that was on the CD baby website. So CD baby, you know, is a place where independent musicians often publish their, their, uh, their work. Um, and they have a blog called DIY musician.cdbaby.com. And there's a lot of really interesting things there. You know, there's a, a, a set of articles called musician advice, musician guides, YouTube resources. And I came across an article that is a dealing with band politics, why it doesn't have to be so complex. And the article was interesting. And I guess I'll summarize it here. You know, it's, it, 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 the main sections of this article are, are who is the leader? Does the band have common goals? how to work through arguments, encouraging bands not to sweat the small stuff. And then a couple of closing thoughts. And if you do a search, you know, again, the, the article is called dealing with band politics, why it doesn't have to be so complex. My thought on this is actually really interesting. <clears throat> this way oversimplifies the concept of band politics. Basically. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I'm like, oh, wait, wait a minute, man. You're not going to get away with saying that this, oh, this no. is the answer. <laughs> oh no, no, no. And basically the answer to every part of this is communicate, just communicate and everything will be fine. And as I read this, I was like, well, he brings up some interesting points, but communication, especially with artistic people, artistic people and and programmers, I would say, fall into this category. Who are also artistic people. I mean, absolutely. You know, yeah. Yeah. And my, and their minds work in similar ways, but the concept of, of, of oversimplifying how you get through comp through, through uh, politics by just telling everybody, be a good communicator is such a grossly unfair um, oversimplification of how to get through, of how politics arise and how a band can get through them. So I, I thought we'd start there. Yeah, I mean, we can we can include the link to the, the article and people can take a read through it. But, you know, to me, uh, politics, uh, they're, they're part of human nature, right? You know, you get in a group. And, and again, my group is interesting because it's so many people. It's 10 people. Mm. You get in a group and, you know, certain people tend to gravitate towards each other's thinking. Um, there's often a very natural thing when someone is a leader you know, people can have leadership issues. The leader can have leadership issues. Some of the band members can have issues with authority or leadership. I mean, all these kind of subtle human nature things. And then you add to the fact that you're trying to do this creative endeavor that's incredibly meaningful for everybody involved. Uh, you know, this is their personal expression. And you you have the stage set for an absolutely terrible forum for communication. Oh, yeah. Well, right. I mean, you've got... So there's 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 some additional factors there. Right. One is that in most band situations, even the ones we're talking about here, where we are earning some money, few people are earning a few people live at a at a level where the money they earn from music is there in the entirety of their career. In fact, for a lot of people, the money they earn from the band is kind of extra money. Right. So. Right. 
it it can be argued that the money is not the reason you're together, right? It's in fact, it, 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 it might, it might not even be on the, on the, on the top 10 lists of reasons well, that uh, you're together. I, right. And, and so it's a, it, it's, it's not a boss versus employee scenario, which we've talked about a little bit before. It's just five guys or 10 guys. Or, and, and, and I, when I say guys, I mean guys and, and, and women. And I, I want to bring in an anecdote about women that, that probably goes in a different direction than you might, um, might guess in terms of politics here, at least based on my experiences. But um, but I'll get there. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, so in my band or in bands I've played in, I've heard both. I've heard I don't do this for the money. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I better be happy. You know, you know, I better have an opportunity to express myself, you know. So there's people who say I don't do it for the money. And there's other people who no matter how much money it is, it is part of their. I guess income, I guess would be one way to say it. And so they are actually particularly concerned that, you know, the band has their act together you know, in order to be as financially feasible as possible, whatever that might be. And then there's, again, this whole, you know, wide ranging perspective of what professional is or, you know, what will be the most, the most financially um, prudent way to run the band. And so you get the whole spectrum that's involved in, I think you get it in four piece band, three piece bands, five piece bands, 10 piece bands. You just naturally people have, they're coming from different places and how they express that through this creative endeavor can be all over the place. Yeah, it's true. I, although I have played, I've always said that a three piece band is my favorite size of band uh, because it's really it. And, and I mean, you know, the white stripes of course do this with two, but three pieces is typically the minimum viable size for a rock band, right? You know, you get guitar plays drum, guitar bass drums or keys, bass drums, or, you know, something along those lines, you get a rhythm instrument that can play melodies of bass and drums. Um, or guitar keys, drums, right? You don't need a bass player. The doors prove that most of the time. Um, but, uh, but the three piece, there is less opportunity for politics, right? Because as soon as you have a four piece, you can have two in one direction and two in the other. Whereas with a three piece, you just kind of have to, you're all together or you're not. And, and it's pretty obvious. There's no clicks that happen in a three piece, but politics certainly do. And and your, your point there is valid, uh, but it, it's exponentially more possible as you get to, you know, five piece or, or like you've got with a 10 piece. I think I'm trying to think of the largest band that I've played in. I think that was a, uh, uh, other than the Macworld all-star band, which was a sort of a different thing. I think six pieces is the biggest I've, I've dealt with and that it gets crazy. Yeah. 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 I, the point of it all Politics happen and politics happen as a part of human nature. They happen in any group. It's a, it's so almost like a sociology experiment, but you add in the fact that it's a creative endeavor and you add in the fact that, you know, people come to this creative endeavor, you know, they're not bound to it. It's an at will relationship, if you will. Um, and it, and it creates a lot of, of vibes. I will say this and I give props. I think I've mentioned this on, on the show before. There's a band in my area that's been together 45 years Four of the nine guys have been together, you know, all 45. Oh, no, excuse me. Five of the nine guys have been together that long. And um, it's a great band, still a working band in my area. And that band, the leader of that band has this reputation of a very, very iron fisted perspective. If you join that band, this is what you're signing up for. And the reason this the band is great. And the guy who runs it is a hero of mine because, and he's a very nice guy, but he's just a very direct guy. And and he's a good leader. He'd be a good leader in any endeavor. He's extremely clear on the objectives about what you can expect if you're going to work for him. 
And, and he, he doesn't walk that line between dangling that it's a democracy and dang, you know, when it's, when it's convenient to him or a difficult decision and then pulling it back when it's something that he wants to do, which I, it's something I know that as a, a leader of a band, I have to be more careful of, you know, you want to make everybody happy. And so you start doling out the democracy and then you realize that it's getting away from you and you start reeling it back. I think that that is a tendency uh, in, in bands, you know, to, to operate them that way. But Frank of Sage, he's my hero. He's run a successful band. They've accomplished so much. 45 years the band has been together. I mean, you just can't say that about many things in life, right. much less creative endeavors. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that's um, that's a long time. I think Chris Breen's band has been together. I don't think it's quite that long, but I mean, those guys have been playing together since they were in high school, I think. Yep. Yeah. 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 So it, it is possible. Um, but you need it. Well, it needs to be the right mix of personalities. It sounds like this guy, Frank, uh, like you said, it, I mean, he he possesses the qualities of a good leader in general. And and I mean, the the mistakes that you mentioned, you know, kind of letting the democracy, the level of democracy be a variable thing is a is is a pitfall anywhere right and and he doesn't do that and that's that's an important thing yeah absolutely i and and i would say this goes back to the the how you as a band get through politics right so politics are going to happen like i said you know going to have certain people of like minds naturally gravitating to each other and taking positions together which starts to create clicks um uh, and, and then you start getting people with ingrained, uh, you know, sticking their, their feet in cement and saying, I'm not going to move off this position. The, the, this is the essence of where the politics come from. I, one thing I can say about this article, the essence of it is, is correct, is that um, clear expectations is really the best way to address politics in a band. You know, who, who is going to make decisions, how they're going to be made, um, you know, what everybody's role in, in the, in the band is interesting. I think I've kind of shared in my band, you know, I have, I have one guy who's, who's, um, really amazing, a, a very trained musician who understands theory at a very a deep level. He tends to break the ties of musical disagreements, you know, um, you know, theory, you know, the, the, the nature of chords or endings of songs or those types of things. We have one guy who, um, who is great with vocal harmony arrangements and has a lot of great ideas for, you know, musical touches for bands. So often comes up with great ideas for how segues or, or medleys can happen. So we have one guy who does that, but everybody has opinions about these things. Of course. And, and, and another thing is the, do you set, do you set the environment where people can be heard? You know, I have some people who never speak up. You know, that's just that's their style is that, you know, I'm there to be uh, serve the leader. And, um, you know, so they rarely speak up. But I encourage people to speak up. And even the guys who never speak up, you know, I definitely you know direct directly ask them for their input on certain things so they can feel that they're heard. And I, I think the issue about politics, I guess what I'm saying, and it's dawning on me as I'm saying it, it's really the leader's role. If your band has a leader, which, you know, we've kind of talked about that, um, at least on stage, everyone, uh, we're agreeing there has to be a leader. Yeah. But even, you know, even in the rehearsal hall, someone has to assume the role of facilitating communication. And even if you're accepting that, that certain people are bad at communication, you have to kind of set the role where, you know, 
you either say, hey, listen, even if you don't want to speak up, I'm going to give you the opportunity to contribute to this conversation. You can decline if you want, but I just always want you to feel like you can. Just setting that, that, um, setting that stage so people can be heard and have a voice in decisions, but be very clear about how decisions are made. If you're a leader and you're going to take in a bunch of input, and I guess you know this is business, this is anything. This is how you get human beings to uh, cooperate together. Uh, but it is a skill like anything else. And in a creative endeavor, it can get really weird. So uh, band politics is something that comes up. It can kill a band if it's not addressed in a, an effective way. I mean, you know, really well, feelings. Yeah. I mean, I, it, you you need to to have that communication. And I've been in bands where, you know, the communication doesn't happen or it happens at such a superficial level that there's all this stuff going on sort of under the under the the, the surface. And then it just blows up and, and the band just totally craters. And and it, it's hard to recover from that. It You, you know, I've heard. I've heard people say that it's like being married to four people at once, uh, being in a band. And, and I think that's true. You know, there, there is the, the necessity for compromise. Um, and, and that compromise can happen in different ways. Like you said, depending on how the lead, the tone that the leader has set and, and the amount of flexibility that the leader has set. I mean, sometimes you have a band that's, you know, five people that have, been together since they were in high school and and they all contribute but one guy is the one that says okay well this is what we're going to do because it you know we got to make a decision you know but but the the you know that you can i guess in that sense the leader is the tiebreaker and nothing more right where and that can work or you can have one where the leader is the visionary and the dictator and and everything in between any of them any of them can work. It just has to be the right one for that mix of people. Right. Consistency and clarity are the things That's you're it. looking for. You yeah. know, someone who's going to say, here's how I handle these types of situations. Here's what I expect of everybody in terms of, of, of us all getting through these situations. Cause it's just going to happen. I mean, you know, I think even in three piece bands, it'll happen on occasion. People are going to have differences of opinion. Definitely. And then, you know, difference of opinion leads to people trying to sell their opinion. And that, by definition, I think is is politics. And so it, is. it can happen. Oh, I've, in- I've had it in a three piece band where, you know, I, where I was I was the odd man out. And I'm sure I've been the the not odd man out and you don't even realize it. Right. But you get a phone call from one guy that says, hey, you know, I've been trying to do this one thing. And I I think you're on board with me with this, you know, and and if you take a step back, you realize, oh, wait a minute. You know, we're trying to play two against one here to, to push this decision through you know it's it and again it it just depends you it depends on what the goal is if the goal is everybody's happiness is paramount well then that then the goal by definition can't be the best musical experience or the best right i mean there's only going to be one leading goal well and then you know everybody in a group of any size is going to have their own perception about what the best of anything means, right? Best. That's true. Right. So that, you know, there's right. a whole range of perception. So, you know, I think the best you can do is um, aim for constructive consensuses where, you know, you're going to be heard. Um, you're going to buy into the decision-making process and you're going to support the decision. I think that's actually really important. You know, you, you, creative people have so much invested in their craft that is very difficult to be moved off there. I mean, it's, it's, it's part of your identity. I mean, right. you know, you have your identity as a husband or as a father, you know, the, and these are, these are learned skills 
for a lot of musicians, this comes from deep within is, you know, them, their expression through their instrument and their, their performance is part and parcel to who they are. These are very personal things. And so when people become that attached to um, their identity, it's really hard to allow, you know, someone else to make decisions that affect that. But effective bands have effective leaders who have an unusual way of making you feel charmed and happy about buying into something, even if you might not. And maybe it just comes down to, um, to, to the ability to be heard, you know, having a couple go your way over the course of, of, a, of a band's life, you know, that you've affected the, the positive outcome of the band. Cause that's incredibly satisfying and a good yeah. leader will give everybody a chance to win. Right. Yeah. Well, yes, but, at the same time, if somebody's ideas are really bad, uh, you need to, I guess you need to work with them to help them hone their ideas so that they think the good idea was their job or was, their oh, absolutely. was theirs, that, right? That's my point, right? Yeah. So, so a yeah. good leader is, is, is getting you to, to, you know, feel as though you're buying. But I always say this, listen, just because you have an idea doesn't mean it's a good idea. I mean, I hate brainstorming sessions, for example. I hate yeah. them in every aspect of life because people come and they want to contribute, but they might contribute something terrible. Yeah. And then, and then they're really butthurt if, you know, if they're not heard. Right. Um, so I agree a hundred percent. The, the, the great skill of a great leader is the ability to get people to buy in especially even when it's not their idea that they can say, listen, it's for the good of the ship and the ship's going pretty well. So I, you know, I'm going to go on board with this and understanding when someone's really, really passionate and in your face about something that they're trying to sell and understanding how to deflect or absorb, you know, that emotion. Yeah. That's another trait of a good leader. And this is again, all bands. I mean, you know, everybody knows about the politics and the Beatles, right? I mean, you know, very often documented about how the Beatles interacted with each other and, and had conflict and sometimes got through conflict, sometimes didn't get through conflict outside influences that, that can move a band are really difficult. I mean that we probably yeah. could do a whole show on band girlfriends and band wives and you know, how different people uh, deal with that because so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there. Um, have you ever played in a band with women? Uh, not for any length of time. I, okay. I, 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 back, I backed up a woman at one time. Okay. All right. So I, there is this myth that, uh, or this common, uh, uh, it's a, it, in my experience, it's a misconception and I wanted to spell it that women bring drama into a band, right? I mean, this is like, it's, you know, boys club and we can't have a girl here because girls bring drama and that's going to be the end of the band. I've played, uh, in bands, I mean, I think the first woman I played with was 20 years ago. I mean, it's, it's been on and off, you know, certainly most bands are filled with guys and even bands when there's a, uh, that I've played in where there's a, a woman in the band, it, it's, I think it's only ever been one at a time, right? It's, it's the majority of people that, that tend to play music out, um, are guys, but I've played in bands with women and I will tell you that, the women in my experience have never brought the drama in. Um, I, it's always the guys. And I, I really think it's the, the, the fragile male ego that is the source of the drama. Uh, I, you know, having, having kind of watched it happen and, and, you know, being a drummer, you, you do, you kind of sit back and watch sometimes. Um, not me, uh, at least not in rehearsals. Cause I, I have, I tend to have a, an opinion about everything, but, uh, but on stage a lot, you know, you just kind of watch and, and see. And 
the women have been the best citizens in, in bands that I've been in. Um, certainly we're all crazy. And, and like you said, it's an artistic endeavor. It's a creative endeavor. So there are times when, when we're all, we all have crazy ideas and, and I would include, uh, in fact, I could cite examples where it was women that, that were the, you know, at times the ones that had the crazy ideas, but I've never, I would never say that women bring the majority of the drama in. In fact, it's, it usually exactly the opposite. It's the guys that bring the drama in and I've seen it more, mm. more there. And I've been the source of it sometimes. It, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not innocent here, but, um, but I think it's the fragile male ego that gets in the way. Um, How interesting. More, we should, we should do anything a, else. Maybe our first guest show that should, that's what we should do is we should bring in yeah uh, a, a woman musician and I, I've had a couple actually volunteered um, awesome. out here so yeah so that that'd be a good first guest show I think I it's think a great so. topic because yeah. it's just such a real thing there's so many great women singers out there and for a lot of bands you know that's a that makes you more marketable if you have a woman singer so it does it's yeah. a, it's, it's a way to go and um and then there's also the, the issue of extended families the boy the boyfriends and girlfriends of band members and how that gets into the decision making that's a Back whole yeah absolutely well that's right yeah that's right yeah um I'm trying to think if I've ever had issues with boyfriends. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Oh my God. Yes. Oh God. I wish I hadn't thought about that. Oh yeah. Oh, I was in this band, this guy. I mean, it was, he was married to this, this woman that was a singer in our, in our band and she was great. And, and she really was fantastic. She was a great singer and, and just laid back and never brought drama in, at least not directly from her. But uh, man, her husband was, I guess he was just jealous. He was also a musician. I don't know if he wanted to be in this band or wanted her to be in a different band or what, but man, I mean, he just, he would get each of us on the phone. And I just remember these conversations with this guy and he was, I, I think he was jealous or thinking that we were trying to get his wife to cheat on him. And of course we were all married too. It was like, what are you talking about? You know, I, this is like, I, I it didn't even it didn't even occur to me that this was going to be an issue because thank goodness we're all married. We all have kids and you know, it's just simpler this way. And, uh, and it, but he just couldn't see it that way. I guess. I don't know. It was, I had some really weird conversations with that dude. That was, that was the worst, the worst of the, the, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, external influence thing or, or husband, wife, external influence thing. I think, uh, I'd have to think more about it, but, but certainly, He's on the, he's near the top of the list, if not at the top. So, all right. So note for note for us is like, uh, we'll do a show on weirdest anecdotes about extended band families, the yeah. boyfriend, girlfriend episode. Yeah. So right. But Paul, I, I think it's fair to tell our listeners that when we started this, we had some conversations that we didn't record or certainly didn't release. And one of them was about, you know, how much dirty laundry do we air? Because there are these stories, these anecdotes. I mean, that's one of them. And, and I could, and I can, and will happily get more into details about the, how this, this conversations I had with this guy, but, um, we, one of you know, the, the dirty laundry story, there are things that happen in our lives that, um, currently that are, that would make great anecdotes. And unless, and what we decided was unless we can, uh, successfully obscure them enough so as not to name the guilty parties um, or any parties, 
we just can't talk about them because it's it's not appropriate for us to come out here in public and air our dirty laundry. I think Don Henley probably said it best, but uh, <laughs> but you know, but there are ways that we can we can bring these stories to you and 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 I think we have already. So yeah, you know, I know I certainly have, in, and I've I've taken a story and obscured it in a way that um, unless you were right there, you. And even if you were, you might not have realized that that this was the story I was telling from two weeks ago. So, yeah. which is, and which is um, so my uh, the basic feedback I've got from my guys in my band who, who hear me refer to them on the podcast is actually very positive. Y- yeah. Your guys, they're appreciating it as well. Absolutely. Yep. Good. Yep. Yeah. 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 I've gotten no, uh, you know, no stink eyes or anything from uh, from stuff I've said. So I'm I'm far more open uh, directly with them than I ever would be here, and that's that's kind of the. I mean, I guess that goes back to the the band politics discussion. Is is if you got a problem with somebody, I mean, just tell them. God, it's and, so much easier in life if you do that. And discretion is is a virtue. It is. I don't possess enough of it, um, <laughs> uh, but but it, I, I I recognize its value. Um, I I'd like to say I work towards it, but I you know I don't know. I guess well, I do. I mean, I hear you know. I'm not saying people's names here when uh, when i'm telling these stories about crazy people so that's well good. S- similar to what we were talking about you know just because someone has an idea doesn't mean it's a good idea it's just because something pops in your head doesn't mean you have to put it on facebook right oh is that true i had to- i had no idea <laughs> <laughs> all right folks that is uh that is that for episode gig gab so now uh like spinal tap paul we can say gig gab goes to 11 goes to 11 that's right thanks folks we'll see you next week Thanks.